this opportunity might not ever happen again for, for families that are, you know, kind of forced to be home together. So it's hard to do this. And it's a lot easier to say something like this in retrospect, but my, like a big piece of advice is to try to cherish this time together. And apart from the assignments that you're getting from your children's teachers, maybe try to learn something together as a family. There's so many ideas. You could start learning poetry together, which sounds so silly and old fashioned, but it has been one of our, my favorite components in our homeschool. And so it's been really challenging for me and I'm trying to learn it alongside them. And it's just such a fun thing that brings us together. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to further share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in. Welcome. If you're new around here to the Good Dirt podcast and to Lady Farmer, we just wanted to extend a welcome and uh, maybe reintroduce ourselves. I'm Emma, and this is my mom. Hi, everybody. (laughs) And we're here um, to introduce our next episode. But before we do, I just wanted to mention that we have a book out. It's called The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. It came out right at the beginning of this crazy quarantine pandemic time. And it's something that we've been working on for the past few years, actually. And it's a really good kind of primer on all things slow living. And it's written by my mom. Yeah, we hope you'll look that up and that you'll find that really valuable, especially during this time. And we also want to tell you about something very special we have coming up. For the past two years, we've, as many of you know, we've hosted a retreat in the fall. But due to all the circumstances, we have decided to move that to a virtual format. So we are now officially announcing our Lady Farmer's Low Living Retreat 2020 to be held November 14th and 15th online. So look for more information about that to come. Lots of details will be coming up really soon. So stay tuned. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, that um, if it sounds at all lame, like it did to us at first to think about doing a virtual retreat, I promise just stick with us because we are actually so excited about this. Um, It was really hard for us to let go of the idea that we wouldn't be gathering in person with so many awesome people as we have the past two years. But really what this means for us this year is that 
we are not limited by how many people we can host in the space. We are not limited by geography. So in the past years, we've had people flying as far as you know, Texas and Canada to get to us, which is, you know, huge cost and time and travel. And we're so glad that they were able to be with us. But this time it's like, doesn't matter where you are, what time zone you're in. So that's just super exciting to us. Um, And on that note as well, we're able to engage so many more workshop leaders from across huge, diverse subjects, backgrounds, um, and we're just now starting to reach out to people. So on that note, I'll also say if there's someone that you would love to learn learn from in this realm of slow living and sustainable living, maybe you follow them on Instagram, maybe you get their newsletter or read their blog, um, however you know about them, maybe you know them, maybe it's you, <laughs> maybe this is you that you want to teach a workshop definitely reach out to us. You can email events, E-V-E-N-T-S, at lady-farmer.com. That is the best way to get to us, events at lady-farmer.com. And, or you can shoot us a DM on Instagram, but we're so excited to be building out this event and to have it be like a really just big, inclusive, accessible weekend full of really enriching and engaging workshops. So can you tell we're excited? Yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) Awesome. Well, now that we have that out of our system, let's get back (laughs) to introducing this episode. Um, Mom, do you want to take it away? Yeah, okay. Before we get going, I want to sort of talk about what led us to bring this topic up right now. Um, So at the end of July, I always get this feeling that something shifted in the season, even though it's still like really midsummer and it's still really hot. And this morning we woke up to this cool fog. Um, and it seems really weird to say it, but I can feel just the tiniest tinge of fall. Do you know? No, not really. I also think that you're probably at, you know, just being a few miles outside the city or like 20. I imagine that the average temperature there is a good 10 degrees cooler than the city just because yeah. of the concrete and stuff so if that's the case we're 10 degrees cooler then I'm sorry for you because it's been really hot out here boy oh it has been hot anyway what does this time of year bring up for you well Usually it's kind of everyone's making plans for the fall. And I think that's kind of happening too um, right now. I imagine, you know, my friends with kids and my friends who work in schools and it's just super weird this year because no one knows what's going on. I think um, some of the public schools around here are just starting to make some decisions, but um, a lot of my friends who work and have kids are just really kind of freaking out. School systems all over the country are deciding now or still even haven't decided when to open. Are they going to go partially open or go to all virtual learning? Um, Our local school system here in Montgomery County just announced that everything will be online for the first semester. And, uh, you know, parents have been waiting around to know what the situation is. And here it is with just a few weeks left for them to figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to handle it. Yeah, so we're so excited to share this conversation today that we had with Rebecca Gallup of A Daily Something. 
She runs a slow living lifestyle blog that espouses the beauty and simple pleasures of home and family life. And on top of everything, she's a homeschool mom and she's been doing the homeschool thing. Uh, I mean, her kids are young, but she's been doing that. She had planned to do that before kids and homeschool all the way. So we thought she would be interesting to talk to, to get her perspective on homeschool as probably a lot of people are going the homeschool route and trying to figure out how to balance their work with that. Um, So yeah, this conversation, we had it earlier in the summer kind of, or I think actually still technically as the spring semester was wrapping up, but um, we thought that we would, a good time to share it with you all would be this time when when people were figuring out what they're going to do for the fall. Yeah, we we talk with her about the choices parents have right now between following designated structures um, of the remote school programs or just forging their own way completely or somehow finding a middle ground between the two. We think you'll really appreciate Rebecca's insights on the overlap between slow living, daily rhythms, and a child's learning. Uh, Something that was really helpful for me in this conversation, she explains that there's a big distinction between homeschooling and then schooling at home, uh, which is kind of what everyone was forced to do in the spring was schooling at home. And I think we were calling it homeschooling, uh, but they are really different. And I think that actually relieves some pressure. Uh, That might help some parents clarify the extent of their involvement in their children's education. Uh, Rebecca also speaks to her own preferences and philosophy and approach. And I think most importantly, she's super assuring and reassuring to others that their own experience in this journey is literally whatever they want to make of it. And there's no one right way to do anything. Yes, and there's really no doubt that what we're going through right now represents a huge shift in the way we educate our children in this country. It feels temporary, but actually, if I had to guess, I would say that the effects of this are going to linger for a good while to come, and ultimately things are going to be really different on the other side of it. And for the first time in generations, parents get to have a direct influence on how this looks in their own households. And we'll just, we're all entering a big experiment here. And all in all, we hope you find this episode helpful and reassuring that while the current situation might feel overwhelming, you're not sure what to do, you're not sure which direction to look, it's a unique opportunity to do things differently if you choose. And it has the potential of opening up a whole new world of experience and possibility for your whole family. So with that, we present Rebecca Gallup of A Daily Something. I live with my family, my husband, and four children um, out in Northern Virginia in the small town of Purcellville. And um, we've been living in this home. It's an early 1900s, tiny little farmhouse. We've been living here since um, the fall of 2013. And we absolutely love our home and just kind of what we've been building here. 
Um, like you like you mentioned, that the topic of today's chat um, is homeschooling. Um, we homeschool our two oldest and plan on continuing that with our other two children. And it's just been such a, a such a joy to be um, teaching our children at home. And uh, what a crazy time for the rest of the world trying to frantically transition to schooling at home in light of this pandemic that's that's happening. So to clarify, you've been homeschooling all along. And were you homeschooled yourself? Yes, we have been homeschooling. We were homeschooling pre-pandemic. Um, we are in just wrapping up our second official year homeschooling. Our oldest is six and a half. Her name is Zoe, and we started homeschooling her uh, in kindergarten. And our second oldest is five, and she is just wrapping up her first year of kindergarten. And we made that decision to homeschool years ago before we even had children. Um, I was homeschooled for all but one year, K through 12. And my husband was actually also homeschooled for all but high school. We were, we were homeschooled primarily, you know, just with our moms teaching us. But as we got older, we went to high school co-op classes, uh, dual enrollment in high school. Homeschooling was so awesome when we were younger because um, I was able to, I graduated high school a year early. I combined two years in one and was just really focused because I wanted to start college earlier and I wanted to work. And so it just gave us so much um, freedom and flexibility to do that. I got my associates just after one year because I had already knocked out a year of dual enrollment. So homeschooling was super beneficial for me in my life. And so we kind of um, experienced that growing up and had such positive experiences being homeschooled that we wanted to at least try it and see if it would work for our family. So you came with a background and had yeah, personal growth with it. So how has it been for you actually being on the other side of it, being, being the teachers and your children? Um, they're, they're still very young, but you've got two years under your belt now with us, you know, in this very crucial age of um, that, th those early preschool and early elementary levels. So how's it been? Tell us a little bit about that. And what have you chosen for guidance, curriculum, materials? I mean, where do you begin with all of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it can be overwhelming or not knowing where to begin because um, contrary to when my parents chose to homeschool, there are now, it's almost like there's too much information. So it can be hard to narrow it down with the, with the internet and just all the free resources and the communities. It's incredible, but it, you, you do sometimes just need to like put your blinders on and really buckle down and figure out what you want. So first, I think it's just been, it's been such a joy to a joy and an honor to be part and responsible for our children's education. It works and it's super effective. Um, it, it can be peaceful and beautiful, but there can also be rough days, days where you just are, you just want to, and you do <laughs> stop and go outside and just take the kids outside and go for a walk. Um, you just kind of learn to roll with the punches, um, remind yourself of your why, why did you choose to homeschool? which always kind of helps to, you know, bring you back and help you stay focused and not get bogged down with any discouragement. So many times I have to just stop and pray and ask God for guidance or grace and patience to, you know, patiently deal with the kids and patiently work through what they're working through. And then you wake up the next day and you start over. And so it's been kind of just kind of figuring out what works has been huge and not um, allowing 
myself to be, like I said, um, kind of distracted by the abundance of information. So, I mean, there were a couple reasons why we decided to homeschool our kids besides our own super positive experiences that we had growing up. We just really wanted to be the ones directing their education. We wanted to um, develop our own curriculum. Well, develop is not the right word. We wanted to piece together our own curriculum and pull in various resources that suited each child's, uh, their needs, their, um, their learning style, and then our teaching styles. Because I think that's super important for the homeschool parent to figure out how they teach. And then again, how each of their children has different needs. And you can tailor your homeschool program to suit those needs and those wants and desires. Another reason why we wanted to homeschool was to allow our children to kind of pursue and follow their interests rather than, you know, when you're in a traditional classroom setting, that, that isn't necessarily prioritized or even possible because there's a whole classroom of, of children. So um, we didn't want them to be held back by a class or just not, not be able to pursue their interests just because the nature of learning in the traditional, you know, government schools or even, even just traditional classroom setting, you know, there's a prescribed learning path. And so it doesn't necessarily allow for interest-based learning for each child individually. And we really wanted to nurture that. Um, and then we wanted to just be able to have the flexibility, which we saw in our own childhoods, the flexibility to travel and visit family and just take school on the road. You pack up a box or you pack up their backpacks and uh, you do school wherever, or you, if you're on a, on a road trip, you kind of, you have the flexibility and the freedom to turn that trip into school and kind of change gears for a month or two and study. You know, you can go travel across America and study um, American history or, or whatnot. So there's just that, that beautiful flexibility there. Um, and then I guess the, the main reason was we wanted to just be a hundred percent involved and responsible in our, in our children's education, which can be scary at times, especially if you're just starting off, even as homeschool veterans being homeschooled ourselves, it can still be kind of scary and intimidating, um, but it's really empowering as well, knowing that you're responsible, you're choosing what to teach them, you're helping them, and it's really an incredible movement, and I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. As someone who is so obviously already like so steeped in all of this uh, growing up and, you know, planning to have a family. You always wanted to do this all along. So, and you mentioned earlier that there's so, almost like too many resources out there. Um, who do you look to really also like your inspiration and what, what, what motivates you to keep going and where, who you look to for guidance? I feel like there's so, I have so much to share in terms of inspiration, resources, and then influences in our own, uh, what I like to call our homeschool culture. So that's like three, we can break that down to, I guess, like kind of three different um, answers. But first for inspiration, I think primarily our parents, specifically our mothers. My mom homeschooled seven children and Joe's mom homeschooled eight children. Uh, and Joe's family. Wow. Um, I know. And I have, wow. I have two that I'm working on right now. And I just, it does get easier. And as the older kids, you know, are older, they, they gain more independence and they kind of, it's really awesome when you're able to kind of teach them to 
be really self-sufficient in some subjects because then it does free the parents to focus on the younger kids and they need a lot more hand-holding. And that's something that we both witnessed growing up, which is a really freeing concept because you think that as you have more children, it's going to be harder and harder, but it, you know, it com there comes a point where it gets easier. You know, the older kids can help with the younger kids. And it's true with just like raising children as, as well as with homeschooling. Mm -hmm. So I do, I think our moms were at least my biggest inspiration. Joe's, Joe's family dynamics looks a little bit different. His dad was a little bit more involved in their homeschooling. Our parents certainly weren't perfect. They, they really had the most difficult time. They paved the way for us. Back when they started homeschooling in the 80s, it was not popular. It was not necessarily even legal in all 50 states. They, they had to answer the harder questions like, are your kids actually learning? Do your kids get mm -hmm. socialized? Do they know how to talk to adults, et cetera, et cetera. So they, like I said, they paved the way and they made it so much easier for us. And they didn't have the resources that we have available. They didn't have the internet. Or if they did have the internet, you know, it just, what's available right now, it just doesn't compare. They, it didn't, they didn't start off with the online communities, the co-op classes, the sports opportunities. They kind of made all of that happen. So my younger siblings were able to reap some of those benefits. I was able to reap some of those benefits in high school, but they had conviction and dedication and they worked really hard at homeschooling their children. And they set such an awesome example so I think number one, my mom inspires me to keep going. And then in terms of helping to get started, the I I'll probably talk about um, this group a couple times because I think they're super relevant and important. But there's an organization there. It's called the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And back in the '80s, this organization was formed, and they basically made helped make homeschooling legal in all the 50 states. Uh, they worked with the people in each state and the state legislatures in developing homeschool-friendly laws. Those are probably par my parents being massive source of inspiration. And then HSLDA is my number one recommendation for um, just getting started, knowing the laws in your state, knowing how to comply with the laws, and, and then just kind of assisting homeschoolers because they've been around and doing it since the very early days. So, Rebecca, you mentioned that your parents were doing this during the 80s. Um, and we actually did it for one school year in the nineties. Um, it was Emma's kindergarten year. Um, and she chose, I didn't go, I wanted she, to go to school. <laughs> she chose to go to the neighborhood school, which was great. But I, I had my two boys at home and at that time, and I was excited about trying it. And, uh, my motivation for doing it was, um, that I felt like so much of their school day, as I observed was, was a lot of kind of crowd control. And, you know, marching from one place to another in the building and lining up and, uh, you know, sort of just kind of about like how to manage a large group of kids in a small situation. And I felt like, gosh, we could do so many things with that time that they spend just trying to mm -hmm. manage everybody, you know. And that was one yeah. thing. Another thing was that I felt like, gosh, all these, you know, we can just get in the car and go somewhere and, you know, go to a museum and go and be outside and all the things you mentioned appealed to me too and traveling and all these things. And I just thought it'd be so much fun. The thing I ran into is I felt, I felt pretty alone in it. There wasn't much of a community at that time. And, mm -hmm. um, and there were some communities, but sometimes, you know, there's many philosophies of education as there are people and flavors of ice cream. So I, I felt pretty isolated and overwhelmed actually at many times. So 
the next year, the, the boys went back in and, and we just, we just went on. But as I, now, now that it's such a, a more common thing and there's so many different communities and so many philosophies and to, to like go with, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'm almost, I won't say I'm jealous, but if I were in, in these shoes again, I would definitely do it because I just think it would be like really fun, um, to do it. And I know, you know, I did that one year. So I know what it's like to wake up in the morning and think, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for my child's education. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> some days it's a bit much, but, um, yeah, so that was my experience in the nineties. And, and now, uh, it's funny that not funny, but interesting to note, uh, you said a couple of times about this, this organization defends a parent's right to homeschool and that's really been flipped on its head right now <laughs> because now <laughs> people are being told to homeschool so you have you have like the whole thing is just like fruit basket turnover so um i want to get to that i want to get to speaking to the parents who uh are going like what i i can't do this i don't want to do this and also um parents who are really they're overwhelmed with maybe their own job or whatever they've got going on at, in the home. And, um, the kids have all these assignments that are online so that everybody's just on the computer all day long. And that's, that's not great either. So Mary, you were just mentioning how so many families have found themselves, um, suddenly being forced to school at home. And I I say school at home instead of homeschooling because I think the two are drastically different. And I think it's really essential that people realize this fact that doing virtual public school, you know, and trying to complete some teachers' assignments that they've frantically put together for your kids to either be able to do online or somehow at home is really different from choosing to homeschool. And it's still, you know, you're still, you still are you know, your children are still receiving their education at home, but I think, um, it's not the same as homeschooling. And when you've made the decision to homeschool your children, you're, again, you're picking the curriculum, you're choosing, you know, the amount of time that your kids are going to be, you know, studying at the table versus studying nature outside versus singing songs and, and learning poetry and, and kind of, you're putting together this really unique and full, experience for your children that is going to look really different from just from doing public school at home. Um, so that's what I wanted to interject. And I have more to say on that subject, but that's what I wanted to say really fast there. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it makes I, a lot of sense. And that's a really good distinction to make. Too. It is. I was going to say, thank you so much for pointing that out. That had not occurred to me at all. And I wonder if we can speak to um, maybe there's sort of a middle ground in there for parents that they they are overseeing their children do the assignments from the public school or wherever but at the same time they see an opportunity and value in taking that a little bit further and maybe uh, you can kind of help guide them into kind of a a midway between the two even though the two are very different as you so eloquently point out and I had actually never really stopped and thought about it that way it's just like oh all of a sudden everybody's trying to homeschool but no everybody's having to sit there kids in front of the computer and say, do that homework. It's, it is a, a very different thing. I can see what you're saying. Yeah. And honestly, it, it kind of took me a couple weeks into the pandemic. And I was just kind of thinking through this because I had 
oh, I have also so many friends who are just really struggling um, with the transition and rightly so. It's like such uncharted territory for everyone, uncharted for the, the poor teachers who are adjusting and suddenly, you know, having to, to pivot and do everything online, super, super difficult for the children. And then for the parents who are trying to make sure the kids get the work done while also juggling all of the added responsibilities, plus somehow working from home. So it's incredibly difficult, but I was kind of, I was looking at so many friends around the country whose young children were, were getting these assignments from their teachers that, um, like, like you're saying, just required them to be online for hours. And um, the parents really had no clue. You know, some parents didn't even know the tech, how to explain the techniques of some of the subjects. Like they teach math differently now. I don't even, I don't even know how they teach math now, but it's different from the way we learned. And the parents were just really, really struggling. And so, uh, and this was a couple weeks into the pandemic and, and staying at home. And so it kind of, I was just thinking through all this. And I was like, why are we calling this homeschooling? Because this is not, mm -hmm. at its core, this is not what homeschooling is. It's like a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. And I mean, I think there are opportunities to uh, kind of blend together, um, you know, maybe completing the assignments that your teachers have given you and then kind of really trying to make the most of this situation as a family because it is really unique and the, uh, this opportunity might not ever happen again for, for families that are, you know, kind of forced to be home together. Um, so it's hard to do this and in retrospect, it's a lot easier to say something like this in retrospect, but my like a big piece of advice is to try to cherish this time together. And apart from the assignments that you're getting from your children's teachers, maybe try to learn something together as a family. Um, you know, you could choose a book together that you start reading aloud and you could even start reading different parts aloud or you could start a garden. It's a perfect time to start a garden together, especially if you've never done that. It's such a unifying, rewarding family activity. Um, you could take on some kind of project, like if you're daring enough, get chickens and share the chicken responsibility. Um, there's so many ideas. You could start learning poetry together, which sounds so silly and old fashioned, but it has been one of our, my favorite components in our homeschool. Kids have such an ability to memorize and recite a lot faster than adults. And so it's been really challenging for me. And I'm trying to learn it alongside them. And it's just such a fun thing that brings us together. Um, so I think get, get to know your children in this time of being at home apart and outside of their academic assignments. If you have to, if you have requirements from the public schools, then, you know, work on them and then get outside and just do fun things together as a family that are educational in a sense, but also that bring you together and that you have to kind of work hard at um, together. In other words, it's uh, more of a blending of school and home life rather than school at home <laughs> and yeah. and everything else outside of that. Um, yeah, and it, it sort of just brings to mind the, the fundamentals of, uh, of a true homeschooling is just instructing your children about about life you know let's cook something together that's school um but this is, is a life skill and it also includes math and science and art and and so many things and there it's really i think what you're talking about is um to a large degree is a perspective like how do your activities 
inform and educate your children. Activities that you do every day that don't seem formal or structured or come from any specific curriculum, but they're just activity, activities of life that actually are enriching and um, elevating to the child as a human being. So I was going to save this for the end, but I think I it just like felt like I needed to say this now because <laughs> I feel like I'm preaching and that's like the last, and you don't, you don't have to include this necessarily, mm -hmm. but that's like the last um, thing that I want to convey. I think the most important piece of advice that I can offer people who are listening and considering homeschooling or who are maybe already on that journey or who are thinking about starting it, it's, it's just that your homeschooling in your home is going to be different from anyone else's homeschool journey. And so we can't compare ourselves to others. We can't take what someone says and apply it to our homeschooling 100%. The wonderful thing about homeschooling is it gives us the freedom to do what's best for our family and for our own children. And we, I've tried this. But and it doesn't work. So we cannot model our homeschool program perfectly off of any other philosophy or um, what any other family is doing. What this perfect family on Instagram appears to be doing. So you you are going to determine, and I think this is going to change throughout my home, whole homeschool journey as a homeschool parent. But you're determining how you teach, how your child learns, whether your family or your particular child thrives on more structure or more of a rhythmic day. Um, so everything I'm sharing is my opinion. It's what's worked for us right now with young children. So I guess just take it with a grain of salt and um, you can, your homeschool can be completely influenced by, you know, you can pick and choose seven different philosophies or three different philosophies. And you can say, well, I want to do, I love this person's idea about um, nature and I love how this person really emphasizes math and this person um, emphasizes, you know, hands-on learning at a really young age. And you can kind of just men, you know, blend that together and um, make your own homeschool culture and philosophy that works for you. So I guess my hope is that this, um, this chat blesses and encourages you and helps to kind of lift some of the mystery around homeschooling, but that also kind of doesn't make you think you have to homeschool exactly the way anyone else is happens to be doing it because it kind of takes um, dipping your toes in and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. So it's a really good reminder. And it's, and it's really empowering too, because I think for a lot of things that are intimidating and scary and someone's like, Oh, I kind of want to do this, but I don't know where to start. It's so easy to just kind of hand over all um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? All autonomy to like one thing or one book or even picking and choosing. But like you saying that I think is super, it's empowering then because it's like, no, like the part of the reason and part of the, the really positive thing about homeschooling is that it's like, it's up to you and you can make those decisions. And, and um, I think it can be easy to fall into just, you know, kind of like, just going to Google first thing and like Googling something instead of kind of like asking yourself first <laughs> or, you know, looking somewhere else for the answer. So I appreciate you saying that. I want to add something to that, Emma. Uh, and if I want to ask Rebecca, perhaps some, some of the tension and frustration that we're hearing about people having to school their children at home, 
is the feeling that you have to stick to this rigid thing. So if kids are going to be in and out of school, possibly, as we move through this pandemic era, where there might be periods of weeks or months where schools are closed and then reopened and then closed again, if parents could be encouraged to take a deep breath and look outside of the rigid structure of what is offered them and feel empowered to move forward with some of their own ideas and inspirations, as you have just so beautifully described, do you think that's a, a way to maybe ease some of the pressure of this thing? Certainly. I, th I think that, I think parents who have gotten a taste of what, what schooling at home could possibly look like, they're intrigued and they're actually considering traditional homeschooling. They've, they've maybe seen a closer look at the public school curriculum and the workload and they've gotten a taste of what it looks like to be in charge of their schooling and they are learning how their children learn and they're realizing that maybe they can even do it better than this system of, you know, trying to do, do public school at home and then going back and forth maybe to public school and home if schools have to close. I think all of that uncertainty and will empower parents to make the decision to officially homeschool their children at least for a period of time. Um, I think it's not fair to our kids or the teachers or the parents to kind of, you know, send them back to school, to public school in the fall, and then maybe there will be a an outbreak or, you know, a rise in cases because we're entering flu season and it's cold, um, to then, you know, send the kids home for a period and then send them back and then send them home and have all these requirements of, you know, not being able to use the gym or the cafeteria and maintaining social distance. I don't think that's fair to anybody. It's, it's not kids. Everybody thrives at least on some sort of regularity and being able to rely on, even if it's not a rigid schedule, certain rhythms to your life that uh, they're not going to thrive in that situation going back and forth. So I think that even if this is ultimately what we have to do, I think that necessity, yes, will empower and embolden parents to just say, you know what, for this period of time, until things are settled, we're going to withdraw our children. We've gotten a taste of what homeschooling looks like. We, um, we love the idea, you know, that we're in charge. We get to direct our education and provide that sense of security. And yeah, it's really just that sense of security and something that they can rely on. And I do think that more and more parents are going to be diving into this world come the fall. That's what I was looking for. Exactly. That, just voices like yours, combined with their own experience, combined with an uncertain situation moving forward, really, I would think would have the result of exactly what you just said, like more and more people going, mm -hmm. for now, we can do this. So in another way to be super encouraging, as you have been, can you talk to us a little bit about what, um, you know, what a really difficult day might look like versus what a really good day might look like for anyone who... Um, is already doing this or thinking about doing this just from your perspective and your experience? Sure. I So what do you mean bad days? First of all, <laughs> <laughs> haven't you seen my Instagram? They're all good days. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that a difficult homeschooling day for me is when I feel disconnected with our homeschooling. And for me right now, that's when I'm trying to juggle 
working from home and homeschooling simultaneously. Um, I, I tried to do that a lot more two years ago when we started and I quickly realized, but I'm, you know, having to constantly remind myself that it doesn't work. I can't do both simultaneously. So there has to be a separate time for being present with the kids, for being um, 100% focused on our lessons and going outside and learning out there. And, and, and then a completely separate time for, you know, doing my work. And I think a lot of parents can relate to this right now as, as everyone suddenly had to work from home and be responsible to some degree or another with educating their children. So that to me on, on my side, you know, as, as the parent, as the educator, that's a difficult thing that I still am working at getting better at and having, you know, very specific times in my day where I work and then the rest of the day kind of making that our family time are, you know, making, as you mentioned early, Mary, just kind of our, our whole attitude as we approach the day together as a family is kind of making everything, not overly so to, to a point of ridiculousness, but kind of making everything a learning experience. So we're making you know, baking something in the morning and you use as an opportunity to talk about fractions and they learn about, you know, using measuring cups and how much a quarter cup is and how many quarter cups equal a whole cup. And it's, it's really this whole kind of idea that you kind of weave learning into every part of your day. And um, so on that note, like that's a really good day. A really good homeschool day is where the kids are just interested in participating and showing a, a super eagerness to learn. Uh, maybe a day where there's like a breakthrough and, and they remember the sound that two letters make together. Or um, I, I like the idea of, um, and it's something that's kind of part of our homeschool culture, um, but it's the idea of getting into good rhythms instead of a rigid schedule. And I'm a type A. I like having a list. I like checking off my list, but I'm also, and it's taken me years to realize this about myself. I'm not a, a hyper scheduled type of person. So it's kind of like this blend of like free spirit and, and type A where I like lists, but I don't like being, you know, held to getting things done at a certain time. And so within our homeschool day, there are certain subjects that are important um, to complete every day. Some subjects we only hit once or twice a week. Um, and so getting kind of instituting these good habits and loose rhythms that we follow on a daily or weekly or a monthly basis has been uh, really crucial for the success or, you know, having a, a good homeschool day. I've had to realize, you know, I had to realize that I didn't, th I didn't thrive well and my children didn't thrive well when I tried to make this schedule that um, at this time we do this subject and then we stop and then <laughs> And then we move on to the next subject because a lot of times, you know, you, you, you finish, you know, the allotted time that you've maybe put aside for reading Little House on the Prairie, for example, and then the kids have questions or you suddenly just decide we're going to stop right now and we're going to make hotcakes because that's what mom made and it's lunchtime. And so we're going to, we're going to research what, how she made those and try to make them as, you know, closely replicating her hotcakes as possible. And so kind of like, and that's kind of the idea of rhythm. And then you get back into the next subject after you've you've had lunch and kind of done this little deep dive into Little House on the Prairie world. And then you get back into your school. And it 
it leads to feeling you're a little bit more gracious with yourself when you have rhythms instead of a schedule because you've in a way you've lowered the bar but not quite because you've just you've opened the door for the possibility of like a different kind of learning to happen and so it's this beautiful idea that is a really essential part of our homeschool um community and our homeschool culture so just like a bad homeschool day too or like on like from the kids perspective i kind of talked about how it what it might look like for me being distracted um but I, you know i have i have four kids they were age they range in age from almost seven five and a half two and a half and ten months and so you know Alethea, the baby she's still sleeping and can play on the living room floor you know com completely by herself and she's fine um but the, you know the three older kids they fight they get distracted they hit each other they yell at each other they fall they you know like so it's very easy to get really discouraged you know you're you're trying to teach them the sound that this letter makes and they're just their mind is wandering and so i think it's really easy to say you know this is a bad this is a difficult homeschool day um but something that i am trying to do on a, a daily i have to remind myself of this daily um, because um, I don't default to being this way in my teaching, but I'm trying to kind of nurture their curiosity. And, tr and so say we are, um, you know, I ask them to give a narration or, you know, tell me what something that we just read, tell me, you know, re recount it in their own words. And they have a hard time They're you know, they're not focusing, but they go off on a rabbit trail asking questions about something that doesn't seem relevant to me. And, to, you know, some, you could say, well, this is a bad homeschool day. The kids aren't focusing, but rather than making that a negative, but turning it into a positive and really trying to nurture their curiosity and answer their questions, um, permitting them to kind of mentally wander or pursue and even kind of just help them develop their thoughts and then answer their questions. And sure, we'll come back to the narration. We'll come back to their math problem, but kind of giving them some grace in the moment to maybe not perform in the way that I think um, a successful or a good homeschool day would, they would perform um, is so crucial. And so kind of be more, less of a taskmaster and more of a curiosity nurturer. Um, and believe me, I need to remind myself this probably like 30 times a day because sometimes I'm just like, you know, if we get this done, then we can, we can go on to the next thing. And so, mm -hmm constantly just reminding myself to be gracious and um, that our homeschool success or good day might not necessarily look like what I thought or think it should look like. You mean, sense. you mean giving up control of something? <laughs> what? Not having it go your up. way? <laughs> so that reminds I'm like, I don't even homeschool or anything. And I'm like, I need that lesson. <laughs> No, literally like every day. And so I, I'd almost feel bad even saying it because I have been by no means mastered this and I probably never will be, but it's just something that I want present. And so I, every day I have to practice this as, as their mom and as their teacher. So, I mean, gosh, that's the ultimate life lesson, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me so much of uh, one of my frustrations that one year, so many years ago that I homeschooled and I had a, a second grader and a fifth grader at the time. and. 
particularly with the older one, and this, this is probably relevant to people with kids that are a little older than yours. Um, so they would be asked to do something and the result was not what I expected or wasn't as good as I thought it could be. So frequently I found myself in the position of being teacher and mom. And I, it was hard for me to be both. And I, I just ran into that feeling a lot. And I felt like I, I sort of butt heads with my, the two I had at home a lot just because I couldn't figure out which role to be playing in the moment. So I think that's pretty tricky. And that brings me to a point um, that was made by uh, Donna Gamarkegaard that we uh, interviewed a couple of weeks ago and her podcast was, was episode eight. I think I can't remember exactly. She said that she recognizes that she might not be the best person at all, all the time to, um, to encourage her children's passions. And when she realizes mm-hmm. this, she looks for mentors, like local people who might have something to offer their child. And so they, they can go to another person and have an experience or some instruction. And, you know, in the community, there's so many people that would just love to do that, you know, that would just love to uh, have a kid for an afternoon and show them like a Oh, this is how you keep bees or, um, you know, this is how you make a, a chair, something like that. I thought that was really cool. Like if everybody's going to be home. Yeah, it takes the responsibility or it takes the pressure off to make, you don't have to. And it expands. It expands, yeah. even though the focus is certainly in the home and the focus is certainly in the parents as the instructors, instructors, uh, when those lines get blurred, especially for the, the ones that are a little older how valuable it is to reach out to go beyond the family circle and, you know, just choose directions that your kids can go to explore other things. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's, again, one of the beauties of homeschooling is that you have the flexibility to to schedule those types of interactions and mentorships and, you know, just being involved in the community and your neighbors, you know, during, during the school day and it's part of their schooling and it is just such a wonderful um, component of the homeschooling and you journey. can hand pick them hand say oh just yeah exactly you, yeah it's uh, it's just really exciting like the you know there's just a world of people out there that would love to share with kids and so anyway I think that's an encouraging thing for you know parents of teenagers that are home and they're, they might be like knocking heads over assignments or or, or whatever heaven knows that it's an idea <laughs> yeah and there are so many co-op classes for homeschoolers, especially in the older grades and the more advanced grades, middle school and high school, where, you know, they can learn chemistry and they can be in that classroom setting and have, you know, have an expert teaching them those su- that subject matter or biology where they can actually be doing, you know, um, what's the word? Dissection. Dis- dis- dissection. Animals. Yeah, like dissecting together and, and they have that experience. So there are so many there are so many resources. And again, it's a lot of times it's just a matter of kind of narrowing them down and deciding yeah. in what direction your family is going to go and at what point in time you're going to go off and do that. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about um, your own resources and sort of the Gallup family method, if you will, and, and what kinds of things you're doing at home? Yeah. So when we, when we 
I think um, something that's really important to note first is that something that kind of Joe and I had to come to grips with when we decided, or rather we're talking about homeschooling our kids, is that our homeschool journey wasn't going to look exactly like his homeschool journey or my homeschool journey. You know, when we were homeschooled 20, 20 years ago, wow, it's weird when you can say that about your life. <laughs> um, but so basically we had to figure out what was going to work for our family. And it wasn't going to be exactly, you know, like I said, it wasn't going to be exactly what he had or what I had. And so we've kind of developed a little bit of what I like to call our homeschool culture or the principles and uh, ideas that kind of guide what we do, how we select curriculum, um, and then just kind of what our day-to-day, -day, what the actual like nitty-gritty homeschooling looks like. So first and foremost, I was um, really attracted to Charlotte Mason's methods in, in some of my initial homeschooling. Be just because I was homeschooled doesn't mean I, I knew about different educational philosophies. I kind of just, you know, did whatever my, our parents chose for us or what we were interested in, but I still wasn't really aware. So, so I began to do research several years ago and Charlotte Mason's uh, principles really resonated with me. And she briefly, she was, um, an educational reformist in England in the 1800s. And she just had this idea about children that they were whole and intelligent persons and that they were full of human potential and that they needed living and dynamic uh, learning experiences. And so, she, I mean, she has books upon books that she has written and there are so many Charlotte Mason influenced curriculums that are available but like to sum it to sum it up in in a few words she really emphasized uh reading uh living books books that made the subjects come alive to the students and books that inspired ideas were interesting that made you think um and exercise your mind she i, I love she was against what she called twaddle, and there's never a great definition of twaddle, but it's basically, um, she kind of opposed the children, you know, having exercises or reading books that um, included nothing of substance or that were foolish or that weren't inspiring or interesting uh, or helped them exercise their mind in a beneficial way. And she really emphasized that school time should be limited and that there would be, especially for the younger years, and that there would allow a lot of time for free play and lots of nature study. She believed that the primary means of learning science for in the younger years was just kind of getting out there and touching nature and discovering nature. And I just loved those ideas. Um, so kind of loosely have pieced together some elements of various Charlotte Mason curriculums. And, um, and then kind of, we, we touched on this earlier, but part of our homeschool culture, we've just tried to cultivate a general love of learning and foster a learning environment in our home. And like we said, that comes down to kind of making lots, you know, every, not every activity, but as many activities as possible, a learning experience, um, baking, coloring, Legos, music, like generally help, you know, in, in all of your pursuits, they're bettering you and causing you to ask questions. And another way that we've found to kind of cultivate a love for learning is really having um, a lot of time, making a lot of time to read aloud. As I was kind of researching homeschooling in the beginning years, 
everywhere, everywhere I read and all the people I spoke to said, read, read, read. If your kids aren't reading yet, read aloud to them. And then once they are reading, they can read aloud, they can read to themselves. And even as they get older, continuing to have these family read aloud times. So that's been a really uh, big priority in our family. We started reading the Little House series. And it was just such a fun way, as I mentioned earlier, such a fun way to kind of direct the curriculum. We kind of went on a little house on the prairie tangent where we would make the food that they were eating, map their journey across the United States, talk about their clothing, sing and you know learn the songs that Pa would sing to them and just kind of immerse ourselves in what it was like to be a pioneer. Um, and it you know provides such great opportunities for the kids to realize that you know our world wasn't always like it is today and people had to make literally everything that they used in their homes and ate they had they were responsible for making it or growing it and it's just such an important lesson so and when you're using you know literature and living books like a little house on the prairie um you are just causing their mind to be filled with questions and wonder and um it really does make you know the subject matter come alive and so just that like love for learning in general um and then emphasizing lots of nature study and outdoor play I mean, our kids would play outside all day, every day, and do no book learning if they if they if it was possible. Um, they they'll just go out there and they have a mud kitchen where they, you know, take a pile of mulch that we have and they just use all their they bring all their kitchen toy tools out and we'll just play for hours. Or recently, they've been into chronic the Chronicles of Narnia and they will go outside for hours and recreate different. Um, you know, different chapters and different parts from those books. And it's so fun to see their, their imaginations at work with, you know, given that opportunity to be outside and exploring. And then there's obviously the actual nature study where we, we love going on, we call them adventure walks. And so we'll go with baskets and just kind of collect cool things that we find from the natural world and then bring them in and look them up either online, which isn't preferable, but Sometimes it's easier than looking through, uh, you know, a book, but we do have, you know, we'll look through books and identify what it is that we found. And um, I just love this quote from Charlotte Mason. I wanted to read it. She said, with regard to the elementary years, and this is her quote, there is no kind of knowledge to be had in these early years so valuable to children as that which they get for themselves of the world they live in. Let them at once get into touch with nature and a habit is formed, which will be a source of delight through life. Hmm, that's lovely. Our disconnection with nature is, is just so relevant to so many things that are going on right now. Um, you know, our health and our me mental health, physical health, the problems in society. And that is that when, when, when did she write? When was her time? She was in the, in the, I think, in the mid-1800s. Wow. And, you know, isn't it crazy to see people writing things and then we reread them today and they're just so relevant? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I picked That's up so Walden. I picked up Walden a few weeks ago. And it, oh. it is amazing what the things he's saying. It's just like, are you kidding me? Like, you were saying this, like, you know, 175 years ago and here we are. It, yes, I agree. Well, you know, what's interesting is... I actually wrote my my thesis in college, Rebecca, on it started as a thesis on summer camp and it turned into a thesis on American adolescence and um, summer camp really started in the late 1800s, kind of in response to 
um, the Industrial Revolution. And mm. what was happening at that time looked a lot like what was happening at the turn of the 21st century, I think, because of the like technology revolution, like the back to nature movement. And I think it's still very much alive right now. But there was this back to nature movement in the, you know, 150 years ago, too, uh, because you're going through a similar it's, it's funny, just yeah. how history just it's the same thing. And with regard yeah. with regard to the literature um, in a in a past life, I was a children's librarian, so I was really steeped in all those um, books and teaching children through books. and And I worked in schools where they were trying to integrate the curriculum with literature and all that. So, and I always just love that philosophy and love that approach to education. Like you take a book and you you just insert all you know so many aspects of their ed- education within the framework of the story. And wouldn't it be cool, and this probably exists, but <clears throat> to take like uh, the Little House series or the Narnia series or something like that and actually build a curriculum around it that <clears throat> includes, you know, the math and the science and the nature and the mm-hmm. history. And uh, I mean, you could do that. You well, it's that. actually been done for both of them. <laughs> I bet so. I bet so. Yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of Little House on the Prairie uh, curriculums, one of which is the Playful Pioneers, and that's that was going to be included in resources that I gave you. Uh-huh. But then they also, the same company, um, the Playful Press, I think that's what's called, the Playful Press, just, I just discovered this, and I think it's called, oh, what is it called? It is called The Kind Kingdom, and it is a 30-week overview, I'm reading right now, <laughs> a 30-week overview of major events in Europe using the Chronicles of Narnia, Grimm's fairy tales, and beautiful stories from Shakespeare as a spine. Oh, and so that's so what we're cool. going to do next year, actually. And you just supplement it with um, math, and it covers all all the subjects, except um, you need to add in your own math. So it's, it's like, it's very, covers like, it covers everything, and they incorporate history and science and literature and it's just beautiful so that's what we're going to be doing next year that's so fun fun. can I come I know right (laughs) so you you started then I think you said I don't know if it's just kind of the way you phrased it but you said you sort of started with Charlotte Mason would you say generally that's kind of still what you're doing or is it was that really just a launching off point and then you kind of created your own thing well I want to say so what I should have said was I started off with a particular Charlotte Mason curriculum and decided that the actual curriculum wasn't for me, but I was still going to be influenced by all of her ideas and a lot okay. of what the curriculum recommended. Um, but again, it's all about kind of, you know, adding in, taking out and figuring out what workload and what you know, resources works for your, for your family. Um, so when I started homeschooling and even more now that I have a first grader, I, I had to transition my mindset from play dates and and outings multiple days a week to being home most of the time. And of course there is the freedom and the flexibility within homeschooling to leave the house and to do activities outside the home, but generally um it was that I had to become more disciplined and really embrace the season of being home more and um again because the kids will kind of thrive on the systems and the rhythms that we have in our life. And if you're going out having play dates or outings or even field trips, you know, they might be educational activities, but they're still not, you're still not um, 
yeah, I had to just retrain myself from this expectation of being able to go out with my kids every day, which is what I was doing. Or I would be going out three days a week shopping, play dates, even exploring at farms, which is still part of our education. But the older our kids get, the more we are home more and just really digging into that and embracing that reality. Um, it kind of is freeing once you realize that's kind of the season that you're in. Um, but I had to I had to mentally make that switch. Is that something that happened before the pandemic? Yeah, it, it was. This was something that happened pretty much, I want to say it was Zoe's kindergarten year, but even more in her first grade year, which is this year. Uh-huh. Just kind of that idea of like, the, I mean, you, it's, and it's weird because I don't want anyone, there is still a free, there is still that freedom and flexibility to pick up and decide to go, you know, you're going to, go on a hike and you'll catch up tomorrow or you'll, you'll do, you'll take some school on the hike. So there is still that freedom, but that general sense that I had when I had toddlers of, I I loved social outings and I kind of thrived on that. And I, I still love social outings, but it was just this idea, you know, we would meet my sister-in-law with her nanny kids one day, and then we'd go to the animal park another day and get some shopping done another day. And that's three days there where, the bulk of your day is getting the kids out the door, yeah. doing the activity outside of the house, coming home, and then making dinner. And yeah. in order to kind of thrive in a homeschool setting, I found that I needed to retrain my mind and that for that for for this season of life, we were just going to be home more. Well, then that speaks to your – oh, sorry, Mom. That speaks to what you were saying before about the rhythms and how important it is to establish yeah. like – even in the freedom to establish that structure, even mm-hmm. if that structure seems loose. And I think that that really is a great example of that. And it makes so much sense. It reminds me of when, back, back when I was doing the homeschooling year, I kept a little journal. This was before blogs or anything, you know, and I, but I, I just thought it was important to kind of write my observations and my feelings about it. And I remember specifically uh, feeling that very same way, like there were all these outings and trips. And, and I remember saying, there needs to be more home in homeschooling. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And there's a, and I mean, I have my own sister's experience and then a sister-in-law's experience. And they're also both homeschooling and they both experienced, you know, as their kids got a little older, second, third grade, they felt this urge to, you know, enroll them in a couple co-op classes and activities. And then they just found themselves that so much of their day and their week, you know, and then ultimately it was their, so much of their homeschool program or their homeschool days were driving back and forth and kind of defeating that purpose of homeschooling. And so they kind of had to step back and evaluate what they had, the decisions that they had made for that particular year. And they decided to kind of, you know, scale back and, you know, why are we homeschooling? <laughs> we're homeschooling. And again, like there are really great, there are, you know, there are pros to the co-op classes, especially when the subject matter, you know, gets beyond that, that the parents feel comfortable teaching or, you know, accessing great resources online to help with. Um, so there, there is a time and a place for that, but I think we constantly need to be evaluating, especially when our kids are younger, just that concept of slowing down and being home and not carting them from activity to activity, to class, to class. And then there is no time to be homeschooled. Which brings us around Mm -hmm. to the concept of slow living, which you're a big proponent of as well. Uh, and you talk about that so much in your content, and so do we, of course. And for me personally, 
that that very thing you're talking about um staying home has been one of the huge lessons of the pandemic like even though i was already a person that tried to limit the the movement and just sort of slow down and deschedule and i mean i've been practicing this for a while and mm-hmm. even so there is even it, it even brought it down another notch you know like <laughs> to, to to stay home and to yeah. and the awareness of when you do when there is an outing what how much it takes how much it takes the preparation of leaving going whatever it is you're doing coming back re-entering the home it, it is it's really a lot to think about and when you don't have that interruption during the day and i'm talking about adults children homeschoolers whatever you don't have those interruptions during the day the whole day takes on a, a whole new quality doesn't it like you know when you wake up in the morning and go i don't have to go anywhere today or i'm not going anywhere today it's a very special feeling and i would think for children mm-hmm. and for a homeschooling family it would be a source of great security and predictability and comfort. I, I think that's wonderful, Rebecca. Yeah, because I mean, just to, to tag on to that, like when we are we are leaving the home, like you said, so much of our time is spent preparing, getting the kids dressed or, you know, at least presentable, their hair done, their faces washed, the millions of diapers changed. Like so much of our day is either spent actually getting them ready or thinking about what you have to do yeah. to get them ready and out the door that we're not that we're not able to be present in what it is that we are actually doing at the moment with them. And I think that's huge. And also just with along the lines of this, this idea of rhythms is this smooth transition between activities. And if, if you have to harshly stop something because you have to get out the door to a commitment or again, harshly stop the end of one subject and then begin the next subject, because that's what the schedule dictates. It doesn't allow for, you know, that, culture of learning or that slowing down that we so yearn for. So I love that idea of, of smoother transitions between your activities and not having to leave the house as much or choosing not to leave the house as much or not being allowed to leave the house as much has <laughs> really helped that with just the lack of commitment makes yeah. the day transition so much um, smoother and gentler. And I, I've really appreciated that about this this staying, this time of staying home, not only, um, you know, pre-pandemic, but the forced or required staying home um, has really been a blessing in a way. Yes. Yeah. I try to picture what it would have been like if we had a situation like this when my kids were growing up. And I've, I've actually like thought back on those busy afternoons where someone had a lesson at four and someone else had to be picked up at 530. And then there was dinner to think about. And all of these things, it was just so nineties. I mean, that's just what we did. And you know, what if, what if there had been something like this? I don't know. It's just it's very interesting to think about. I have a question before we wrap up for Rebecca. Um, I, I mean, something that I see a lot in your content that you share online is your kids just like doing adult things as in like, yes cutting you know with a knife like cutting vegetables or like just you know mostly in the kitchen I think is what I'm thinking of Mm -hmm. um but like and not necessarily like chores but I could call them you could call them chores like literally helping with dinner and stuff like that and oh my gosh there was a little video the other day of them cleaning was that you was that your kids like dusting I don't think so but (laughs) okay maybe I'm making them up I could see them doing that anyways the only other time that I've seen that like toddlers and young kids like really loving 
doing like cooking and doing housework is um, when I lived in France and I was a nanny in France. And that's very much embedded in the culture. Like part of raising children in France is teaching them to be little adults. And I just think that's something that generally isn't super the same in our culture, but I've noticed that in your family. Can you talk a little bit about that and like how you do that? I think it's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, I think children, first of all, they're really they're sponges and they're eager to learn. They're constantly watching what we're doing and they're always mimicking us. So for, you know, there's really great things about that. And then there's areas that we as parents or you know people who have, are responsible for children, you know, we need to be super cautious because again, they are always watching us and wanting to learn from us and mimicking our, our actions and our behaviors. But they, I've found that they, thrive on response on extra responsibility. So not only just the normal things that you maybe expect of your children, but kind of going be above and beyond that. And I don't, like you said, it's not necessarily extra chores, but kind of trusting them to, or trusting them with things that go slightly beyond their capabilities. Um, mm-hmm. For example, um, maybe having them set the table and, you know, help you make it more beautiful um, or as you mentioned, you know, teaching them and you have to train them and it takes time and it takes oversight. So sometimes it's easier to just not do this at all because it could either, you know, you could either go crazy with worry that, oh my, they're going to cut themselves if I let them cut. Or, you know, you have to take some time out of making dinner yourself to oversee them using the knife. But, you know, I, someone had, someone had asked me that about, about that specific responsibility of teaching my kids how to cut with sharp knives. And I, you know, my first answer to the question was, well, I didn't just hand her, you know, our sharp kitchen knives from a very young age, she's been using dull knives. So it started off with Play-Doh and, you know, they, they cut with, um, we have these little wooden knives and they cut the Play-Doh with wooden knives. And you, you kind of, even though the wooden knife isn't dangerous, you're teaching them how to properly handle a knife and you don't touch it by the blade or you, you know, you don't walk with it and you're, you're careful. And so then they move on to maybe slicing cucumbers with the butter knife and that, you know, it has mm-hmm. a little bit of serration on the end, but it's not sharp enough to cut them. And they start cutting cucumbers and lettuce and other things. And then one day they move on to a sharp kitchen knife and you're watching them, but they've already for maybe two years been using knives. They know how to handle them properly. They know, you know, um, generally, you know, the, the motion and how much strength is required to cut things and and you watch them and you maybe correct a couple of things but they thrive with that and and Zoe she's been cutting for probably 3 years and it's actually super helpful now so she can come in the kitchen with me and like and help me make soup and cut the carrots and the celery she doesn't want to cut onions yet though because she sees she's seen what it does to your eyes <laughs> um so I do I think kids thrive on the extra responsibility um even things like reading to your younger siblings, um, and it might just be a super basic baby board book, but if, if it's like, okay, Zoe, Alethea's fussing, I'm trying to make dinner, can you take her into the living room and read a book to her? She just kind of like, you know, rises up to the occasion, picks up the baby, marches to the living room and <laughs> reads to her. And it's so sweet to see um, her take on those responsibilities and, um, you know, making, helping them helping make breakfast. And it, this was something that was hard for me, even kind of like letting, letting Zoe cook at the skillet. But my mm-hmm. sister-in-law, like her three-year-old was making eggs for the family. And I was like kind of nervous about that. But finally, I was just like, okay, we're, I'm just going to teach her how to do it and teach her, you know, you don't touch the skillet. And so now she can make eggs. She 
makes waffles every, well, she begs to make waffles every morning. We don't, we don't eat waffles every morning, but Zoe can make waffles completely from start to finish. And it's, it not only, again, that's kind of, kind of goes on, it's kind of um, piggybacks on what I was saying earlier with, if, when you have um, multiple children, especially like beyond four, maybe getting into five, six children, the older ones can take on those responsibilities that maybe um, seem a little bit beyond their age or a little bit extra for them, but they thrive on it. And then it kind of frees the parents to focus on, you know, other responsibilities. Maybe that's younger children. Maybe that's, you know, getting some work done. Maybe that's cooking dinner, whatever that responsibility is. But it kind of, it does get a little bit easier as your children get older. Yeah. And it's kind of, well, it's kind of like Montessori-ish too, right? Like mm -hmm. kind of letting them figure out, I mean, obviously with good supervision and stuff, but just, yeah, giving them that response. It's so empowering, especially from a young age. And another thing, like I've always kind of been a fan of letting my kids use, um, within reason, but like use our normal plates and our normal cups and not always like child proofing everything because mm -hmm. I feel like they need to learn to live in the world that we live in and they need to learn how to treat things gently and drink out of a glass cup and you know be in a home that has beautiful things that maybe aren't meant to be touched they're just meant to be appreciated and especially then if you go to someone else's house you can not worry if they don't have kid cups or worry if their home has breakable things because for the most part your kids have been have you know, grown up in this home where um, they've been taught to treat things well and drink out of a mason jar. You know, you, you train them on a mason jar when it's a little bit sturdier than other glass things, but it's still breakable. Um, and just kind of teaching them an, a, a, an appreciation for um, kind of things in, of the quote unquote adult world that they're capable of living amongst and appreciating from a young age. Yeah. Um, is there anything before we wrap up that you would like to say any, like in your case, it might be what, it, what do you think it's most important for people to understand about homeschooling from your perspective? You might've already said it, but anything else you want to add? Um, I think I, I touched on kind of like a most important thing. And that is basically that your homeschool journey is going to look completely different from anyone else's homeschool journey that you've read about seen on Instagram, researched and whatnot. Um, I also think that it's really important to realize that learning can happen in so many different scenarios than traditional, you know, sitting down and doing work at a table or at a desk. And so just kind of encouraging parents to nurture that culture of learning throughout their living, especially now as we're going into summer, where parents might be toying with the idea of withdrawing their children from public school and homeschooling in the fall, or uh, worried about um, you know whether they're gonna whether they've fallen behind, you know, not having been in public school for the last two months, um, but just kind of trying to incorporate throughout the summer opportunities for your family, and if you're if it's not possible for the whole family, for the children, and maybe a parent to learn and explore things together. And um, some of our favorite ways to do that are uh, nature walks and nature hikes, where you just kind of go out with nothing on the agenda except walking in nature and observing and maybe collecting some things. Um, the kids can make kind of like a, 
a summer things that they want to do over the summer list and then you know slowly work through that list together as a family and obviously you know you have to keep you know if if we're if our ability to do things are still somewhat restricted then they have to kind of be guided with that but it, so many fun things can be done at home um, gardening is another thing that I really recommend um, it's an opportunity to be learning the whole summer you learn about the plant cycle you learn about hard work where your food is coming from it's I mean there are so many opportunities for learning in just the one act of planting some seeds um, another thing that we love to do uh, is get watercolors and some mason jars and fill them with water, pack a backpack with paper, your watercolors and your mason jar, go outside, whether it's your backyard or on a hike and just paint. And it is so fun and the kids love it. And there's something magical about painting um, outdoors. Specifically, we love watercolors because they're really forgiving for kids and they wash out of clothes. Um, but that's one of our favorite, um, overall favorite things to do and just something that's really fun to do in the summer. Rebecca, for anyone who doesn't follow you yet, they can find you at a daily something on Instagram and you also have a website. And I'm wondering if you have any specific homeschooling resources online or how people can access some of your amazing ideas. Yeah, so I, I actually have not learned how to incorporate a ton of homeschooling content into my online presence yet. <laughs> because a lot of times when I am homeschooling, I'm trying to be super present with them. And so I'm not necessarily documenting it but I do have a few blog posts um, on, the, on the topic of homeschooling, some, some of which goes into my Charlotte Mason philosophy and our homeschool culture. And then recent, more recently, I did post about um, just quick tips for homeschool scheduling is what I you know, named the blog post. And basically, right after the, the coronavirus hit and schools were beginning to close, um, I was, I received several messages, lots of messages from people asking me to put together some kind of a guide helping homeschoolers or helping people who were now, you know, facing educating their children at home for the first time. And so Joe and I actually sat down one night and kind of put this together. And it's just a, a really, um, again, it's a quick um, guide. It doesn't cover everything, but it's basically meant to help people who are struggling with managing their time and maybe keeping things under control, maybe not knowing how, you know, you're, especially for people who are doing this for the first time as a result of the school closures, you know, their kids are not used to um, their parent being their teacher. And it's going to take some time and consistency, um, you know, having your children kind of respect you in that capacity. So kind of helping parents realize it's okay to be in control and be mm -hmm. consistent and try to, and getting your kids to sit down and do the actual work that they need to do, especially if you have older children. Um, the guide just kind of helps you figure out what to prioritize. And again, and then I also mentioned, you know, helping parents navigate screen time, because that's another huge concern, um, you know, at the, in the, during this time of just kind of the easiest thing to do is to just put your kids in front of the TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that is, yeah, that's on my blog, A Daily Something. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. It's just, I really, really enjoyed the conversation and I'm so interested in all of this stuff. And if my kids were small, I would be jumping right in there. I really would. <laughs> and I just, you, you make it sound really fun and you, you make it sound very worthwhile. 
And even for parents that are in a situation now where they, they feel like they didn't choose this or um, they are anxious for this time to be over, I feel like you've really offered them some some insight and some encouragement and some advice and tips and just a lot of information to shed light on this path. And I really, really appreciate what you've done in your work. And it's just very, very impressive and delightful. So thank you so much. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. It's really an honor to chat with you today. I wish we could have been doing it in person. Um, but I, yeah, I guess my hope is just that this blesses and encourages parents and makes them, helps them to realize that homeschooling is possible, it works, and it can be a really joyful thing. Wow, Rebecca, thank you for all of that information and encouragement and listeners you will be able to find all of these great resources that she mentions in our show notes. And we just want to say wherever you are in this situation, whether it's monitoring your children in a remote learning situation or being fully responsible for their education or anywhere in between, we hope this discussion gives you some direction in the midst of all the uncertainties. And we hope you can be inspired to embrace the possibilities that are presented to you here. And remember what Rebecca says, that your journey is unique to you and your family. And I'd like to add one more thing before we say goodbye. Parents, don't forget to take care of yourself in all of this. I know it's, you know, that's really easy for me to say, (laughs) and you hear that all the time probably, but it's worth repeating that no matter how impossible it might seem, if you can feed yourself good food, try to get good sleep, and just a little time for yourself. Uh, that can really do amazing things for you and everyone around you. It's ultimately better for everyone if you are able to nourish yourself as much as you can. So consider it a part of your child's education for you to demonstrate some self-care. Well said, Emma. So (laughs) thanks, Mom. Yeah. I'll just add for anyone who's listening and you're new to the Good Dirt podcast, make sure that you're following us at We Are Lady Farmer on Instagram. Uh, check out our website, ladyfarmer.com, and sign up for our newsletter. And definitely keep an eye out for all things upcoming virtual retreat on all of those platforms. We'll be chatting about it. And if you would like to reach the podcast directly, you can email the Good Dirt Podcast at gmail.com. We're so glad that you're here and we'll see you next time.